the 51st Psalm, we are entering into our fourth message of our basic beliefs, our basic doctrinal beliefs. It is important to know what you believe. I've heard of people that have, and, and their pattern with churches they've been in, and one church believes one thing, the next one believes something else, and the next one believes something else, and they said they seem to be fine in, in all those churches and that, uh, and that everybody else can mind their own business. But it's important that we know what we believe. When we know what we believe, we can't believe what we don't believe, that others believe, all right? So it's important to be grounded in our doctrine. So we've shared a lesson. We started this with, I'm saved and I know it. And so we shared of our assurance of salvation. We, we shared it from God's word. That's how we're established on what we believe. It's from God's word. And so we shared assurance. Say that fast a couple of times. And then... I am secure in my Savior. And we talked about security in the Savior. We shared from eight different passages. It could have been 80 or 800. But we had time to share from eight different passages. While we believe we have security in our Savior. It's from the Word of God. And then the next week. we, Last week we called it. I'm still secure in my Savior. As we shared from four passages. From people who believe you can lose your salvation who are not secure in their Savior. From four passages that people would take and to twist and to think it to mean something that it doesn't mean. So we shared those four passages and we still had security in our Savior. And tonight, well, I've titled it, When I Stray, Return I May. Kind of felt like cat in the hat when I said that. But, but that's the title. When I Stray... Return I may, because we're going to share tonight the Christian who leaves the fold of God and chooses the world and chooses sin and then comes back to the sheepfold. Because you understand there are a lot of Christians who have been in that pattern before. What happens in that? How, how do we return? How do we have confidence that we can return to the Lord? Well, we're going to share David's story. We have the story of David here in the midst of his repentance. He repented. He changed his mind about sin and he changed his mind about Savior and he was restored to the Savior. So we're going to use this situation and we're all very familiar with it. How David sinned with Bathsheba and he sinned against Uriah. And most importantly, he sinned against God. And so right in the middle of his, of his turning and his repentance, we have these words that we might share, that we might see one being restored to fellowship with the Lord. The Christian who goes astray can be restored to fellowship with God. This psalm shows us the results of what happened by the choices in David's life. The result of what happened with Uriah and with Bathsheba. David was guilty of murder. He was guilty of adultery. But now he is confronted by Nathan the prophet. And he repents. 
And we have the words of this beautiful repentance. This sin is what we might call an awful sin, but we have an extremely beautiful, sincere seeking repentance of David. He was seeking not, I mean, it's, it's as if forgiveness wasn't enough. He just wanted the greatest cleansing he could get. He said, blot out my transgressions. He knew he was forgiven, but he was calling out for a cleansing. Purge me with hyssop. And to be restored to the Lord. And as far as this sin of David. You know let us think for a minute. Because this should make us very aware. Of those whispers of Satan. Because he tries to whisper. Into all of our ears. Not in an audible way. But in some way. He's conveying something to every single one of us as children of God to try to get us off track. And there is a danger in listening to those things. They will never appeal spiritually, but they will appeal appeal to the flesh. And it'll help one to unfortunately step down that dark road of sin. And we've tread that path before in one way or another. And of course, we've all been tempted to go down that dark path at one time or another in our lives. What would we say those whispers are like from Satan? Go ahead. No one will know about it. Come on. You can get away with this. He's whispering through circumstances he puts before us, through people that we come in contact with. And he's always wanting to get you and I off track. And as soon as the Christian falls for these lies and moves into action, the Christian knows immediately that God knows all about it. And ultimately, we do not get away with anything. And there's immediate misery over that for the child of God. Satan knows that he cannot have us for his own. We, when we are a child of the king, we are a child of God. And he knows he can't have us. But he wants to make us miserable while we are on this earth. Misery loves company. And he wants company. He wants us to fall for the sin that he fell for. He wants to do everything he can to destroy us. He never will leave us alone. Resist the devil. Submit yourselves to God and he'll flee from you. But don't you know he's right on the way back when we do that. He never leaves us alone. He wants to try to make us as miserable as he is. He wants to take us to the lowest point that he can. Satan wants us to live a life of discouragement. The devil wants us to live a life of defeat. He's a liar. And he's going to whisper and convey it in some way he can to try to bring you and I down. To keep us discouraged. To cause us to continually live in defeat while we are on this earth. He can't stand it that we've come into union with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we know him as our savior. And he wants to strip us of every every benefit that we have as children of God. And he can be very successful. It's what he's always trying to do. 
He tries to take us from blessed to backslidden. And he want, that's his aim with every child of God. And he wants to keep us there. And he wants to make us feel like we can never return. That we can never be restored to fellowship with the Lord. Somebody might be down in the dump spiritually tonight. You may be here. You may be online. It may be both. But everyone can get there. And that liar is whispering to you and I. And he's saying, you can't do anything about this. You have messed up and you are done. There is, you have passed the point of return and God has cast you off. He has left you. And you are finished with him. There's no rising above what you did and where you are. That's the whisper that comes into our lives in one way or another. And I'd like you to know for a fact tonight that that is absolutely not true for any child of God. That there is a returning and a restoration to fellowship with the Savior. There may be someone here tonight and you've been closer to the Lord than you are right now. And you just don't seem to have a lot of confidence that you can be back there. Hey, the stories have been told. There are those who went through their valleys, but they came back to the mountaintop with God. They found the, the prime of their spiritual life to be after a valley and being away from the Lord. There is, there is a comeback to the Lord that we can have. This is what we're talking about tonight. Night. Because sometimes the Christian puts on those old grave clothes over that white robe of righteousness that we were given when we were saved. And let me tell you, that white robe of righteousness is still there. And we can turn back to the Lord. We can, we can, when we have avoided the word of God, when we have neglected the worship of God, when we have laid down our duty, when we have relaxed on our devotion, when we have turned to the world in sin. There's a coming back for the people of God. There is repentance and there is God restoring you and I. When we have confessed what we've done, when we realize we don't want to be where we are, whenever we regret what we have done and we change our mind about sin, there is a restoring to fellowship with the Lord and everyone can be encouraged of this truth. The Christian can turn from the world and turn back to the greatest closeness that they've ever had with their Lord and Savior. But in getting started and being re very real about all of this, let us consider our unfortunate ability that we have. We have an unfortunate ability to live in sin, to, to sin. The Christian is saved from the penalty of sin, but not the ability to practice sin. And every Christian has, except for the Lord Jesus Christ. There are those who claim sinless perfection as a level we can get to. I've heard them in the streets of Humble on the corners with their megaphone and their bullhorn preaching it. And it is a, it is a horrible, tragic deception that people have fallen into that they can reach a place on this earth of sinless perfection. In 1 John chapter 1. And 
verse 8, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. We sin. And though we don't lose our standing with God, we do lose our strength. And we do lose our steadfastness by the sin that we enter into. And all of us are susceptible to tripping into sin. So there's an unfortunate ability that we have. And there's an unpleasant aftermath when we consider this subject of sin. Look with me in verse 1 as David writes in the beginning of this repentance. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. This is a beautiful psalm of repentance. And it shows a saved sinner calling on the mercy of God. David knows that sin has consequences. And sin can have built-in consequences. Sin is its own built-in punishment. And David knows this. It can be very severe. So we begin here with David pleading for compassion. For the mercy of God. You know what the mercy of God is. The mercy of God is us not receiving what we could. And God has mercy for us. And David calls out For the compassion not to receive what he deserves. You know why? Several reasons we're going to talk about for a minute tonight. One is because sin puts a stain on our lives. Look with me in verse 2. David says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let me just interject something real quick that goes with our past messages. And that is, you and I are not going to suffer for the stains of our sin. There is not a pit stop after we leave this life on the way to heaven where we go suffer for the stains from our sins. Jesus Christ suffered for our sins fully. And He washes us and He makes us white as snow. We're not going to suffer for those stains before we get into heaven and and, and develop some kind of rightness within us to be able to be accepted by God. Jesus suffered for our sins. And we see David's desire here to be clean. To be cleansed of all of his sin. You know, the unsaved have no problem with the pig pen of sin. We shared last week how Peter was talking about the pig. And... The pig is going to return to the mud and going to return to the slop. And that's what the pig does over and over. And that's the picture of the unsaved person. So the unsaved person doesn't mind the pig pen of sin at all. Peter speaks of this and it represents the unsaved. But the saved have a different experience with sin. Once we know the Lord as our Savior. And and that different experience that we have with sin, it brings about a different attitude that we have about sin. 
The Christian experiences conviction of sin. We cannot engage in it freely and we cannot engage in sin successfully. No Christian is going to be able to sin successfully. And the pleasure from the acts of sin, they are very short-lived. I'm not saying that the sin is necessarily short-lived. It doesn't go on and on. But the pleasure from that sin is so short-lived. The Christian who goes off into sin... There, there's that initial pleasure and then it's misery for the true child of God after that. So David here, he pleads for compassion because of the stain of sin, because sin on the brain consumes the mind. Look with me in verse three. He says, for I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Christians can't continue to think about sin pleasurably. However, let me say this. Sin is going to be heavy and hard on the mind of a child of God. I'm talking about the sin that we can get into. We, we meditate on it. I mean, I mean, we can't sin and move on without having it on our mind. The Holy Spirit will not allow you and I to brush sin under the rug and just pass it off and forget about it. We are going to meditate on it. We're going to think about it until we deal with it with God. That's a change that happens in sin when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. The guilt and sorrow weighs us down and it will alter us in such a way that that we can't function the way we normally function until we bring it up in conversation with God. It's going to be the first thing he really wants to talk about after we do that. And, and, sin seem, and, and prayer seems to lose its luster when God has something else on his mind that he wants to talk about with us. And until we do, sometimes we delay, but an, and until we do, it's going to cause the Christian to be irritable. It's going to cause the Christian to be temperamental. And it's going to cause us to be disengaged spiritually until we deal with this with God. We will not be what we could, what we would, or what we should until we have this conversation and deal with this with our Lord. And it doesn't have to go on. Every Christian can probably say they went on in a miserable condition longer than they should have. And it doesn't have to be that way. Because we see tonight that we can come before God's throne. And we can confess those things with a broken heart. We can come before the Lord and be forgiven and be washed and be cleansed of our sin. And we need to do so. For a more important reason than ourself. And we see it in verse 4. It's because sin puts a strain on God. David says against thee. Thee only. Have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight. That thou mayest. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou judgest. Imagine Uriah's family. The sin of David and what happened to Uriah's family and the way it came down on them and hurt them and affected them. 
Imagine Uriah's battlefield brothers out there. Because that's where that murder took place that David set up. He was out on the battlefield. Imagine how it affected them. Imagine Bathsheba and her family. She's not innocent, but you understand she was ordered by the king to come to the king. Imagine the effect on everyone involved. And look, it's in our best interest to make that personal and to consider how our sins have affected someone else. Sin always hurts others. Not just ourselves. It's definitely going to hurt us. It has built-in punishment. But sin always hurts others. It hurts our family by blood. It hurts the family of God. Our sins hurt different people at different times in different places. You know, there, there are probably those times that we've thought, I'm so glad mom and dad never knew about this. I'm so glad they didn't hear it. It would break their heart. I'm glad they didn't know that this or that happened. But I tell you what, there's someone that is affected by every one of our sins, no matter what it is or where we go or who we're with or what location we're in, and that is God. We understand that God is affected by our sins. It hurts God. When we sin, David understands this. He's he's thinking about how his sin has hurt God and he's acknowledging this and he's confessing it to the Lord and he is broken over his sin because of what it has done to God. He knows it. He confesses it. He's broken over it. You know, it's one thing to be fearful of the consequences It's one thing to be fearful of being caught. Man, but it's another thing when we are broken over our sins, knowing it has hurt our father and it has displeased him. Look, we need to be sensitive to causing others to stumble. We need to be sensitive to what our sin will do to someone else. But true repentance starts with God. And it starts with what we have done to God. And that's where David is. And he pleads compassion to not only the one that he can help, but the one he acknowledges that he has hurt. And that is God. It puts a strain on God. It puts a drain on our joy, sin does. Look at verse 8. In verse 12 with me, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. You understand that uh, in these verses here, this is also going back to another lesson But David's not saying, restore your salvation to me. He's saying, restore the joy of salvation, of God's salvation. God held David's key and he still had it. And now there is true repentance. But what David has experienced that you and I can benefit from seeing 
is that joy is drained from our lives because of sin. In Christ, we have all the joy that we could ever want. We we have an abundance of joy given to us from the Lord when we are saved. Let me say this, though. There's going to be a continual sadness, too. I want to mention something for, for a minute about a balance for the Christian. A balance of joy and a balance of sadness. Let, let me say it this way. It's joy I'm saved and it's sad I've sinned. And this is something continual in the Christian's life. Look, here we go. Here it is. The truly joyful Christian sorrows over sin. And this is something that goes on and on. Nothing in this world should be able to interrupt our joy that the Lord has given us. It's our fault. It's not joy's fault. It's our fault if something interrupts it. Because, because this joy that the Lord gives, it's, it's beyond and above and overcomes any circumstance we could get into in life that we have to face in this world. Joy can't be interrupted by trials. Joy can't be interrupted by a virus. Joy can't be interrupted by tribulation. You understand? It's a constant joy for our lives. However, when we look in the mirror, we see what could interrupt our joy. It is you and I. It is you and I if we don't deal with things with God the way that we see and in what we see from David here. Because sin clogs up the line, if you will. And it clogs up the supply of joy that God has for our lives. So David pleads for mercy, not only because of the drain of joy, but because sin causes pain in our body. Look with me again in verse 8. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness. And did you catch this a minute ago? That the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Sin not only holds us back in our head and in our heart, but it can also happen in our health. Now, don't jump to conclusions every time something happens in your health. It may not have anything to do with sin at all. But there is one situation one aspect where it could happen. And only that child of God's going to know it. No one's going to tell you that that's the case in your life. I've heard some try to take that, take that position of telling someone that. And who's going to know better than the child of God? If the father has brought this. So there are many reasons. Sometimes things happen in our health for the glory of God. Sometimes God's still looking for another Job. That will... Not sin, neither charge God foolishly, no matter what they go through, and give glory to God. And, 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 and you would be that child of God that would do that. So there's many different reasons. But the joy of salvation is overcome by the weight and the worry of sin when it is not dealt with in our lives. And it can become weakness in the body. As David puts on display and confesses here. 
You know, we've been learning that God never banishes one of his children from heaven, but he may break us in our health. One reason he may is to draw us closer to him because he loves us. He may do that in our lives. So we see that David pleads for mercy because of sin and the pain in the body, but because sin causes a sprain in our spirit. Look with me in verse 10. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. A backslidden Christian can be a little edgy, can get a little temperamental. There's no way to satisfy us when we're backslidden. We have all that we could ever want in salvation. But when we're backslidden, there's no satisfying you or I. Well, we will snap at others. We will cut people down. We will play the blame game. We will become bitter and we will just spiral and spiral downward. And the only thing that will put on the brakes of it is one thing. And that is what David's doing here. It's repentance before God. It's coming before God and repenting. Addressing our situation before God. Acknowledging our sin. Addressing it to God. Aspiring not to continue in it. And agreeing with God that it's offensive to Him. These are some things that Granddaddy taught me so early in my Christian life. Nothing sounded encouraging at first. But it was actually very encouraging because it was the most important thing for us to daily deal with in our Christian life. Many Christians are miserable because of the struggle with sin. And we see from David what to do about it here. To agree with God, to go in his word and see what he says about the offense that we've made against him. It just really takes the fun out of it. And it really does that really quick. Sin causes a sprain in our spirit and it refrains us from service. Look with me in verse 13 through 15. After he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, he says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Sin refrains our service. What can we conclude by what we just read? David, in his time of sin, before he repented, he wasn't evangelizing the lost. He wasn't seeing souls saved. He couldn't sing to the Lord with joy in his heart. He couldn't even give praise to God. He's crying out for deliverance to be able to do so. He is is crying out for what he needs to give him praise. Sin stops our service to God. We may go through the motions, but... But the effect really isn't there. And it's just emotions. So David requests to be restored. To be upheld. To be delivered. For his lips to open back up. To sing praise. And to praise his Lord. 
David's changed his mind. Rather than to sin against the Lord, he misses that song in his heart. The, that song was there, but the volume was turned all the way down. Maybe muted. And he, he wants that song in his heart. He, did, he didn't want Bathsheba on the rooftop. He wanted to be able to sing praise to God. He wanted that song in his heart back. He wanted to be restored. He wanted to see souls converted. He wanted to see that souls were going to heaven and that they were learning and they were being changed. He changed his mind about living in sin. And he wants a restored life in the Savior. It's what, he's, it's what he wants by his experience. He's repented. He's changed his mind. And so now we go on to an unrestricted invite. Because there's a comeback for the Christian. There's a comeback for the children of God. Kenley just finished his first season in basketball. And if I could get the excuses out of the way first for his team, there were a lot of young ones on his team. And they had never played together before. And we played against teams that like three quarters of them were eighth graders. It's sixth through eighth. We had a lot of sixth graders and a few small seventh graders and other teams. I was like, is this a high school team? Anyway, I stood on the sidelines shouting crazy like, like I do. And there was one game, though, where I could tell they had just thrown in the towel and they were just trying to have fun. And I just tried to have fun with them. They were so far behind that every time we made a shot, I would say, we're coming back. Hey, guys, things are looking up. We're, we're coming back. I think I see I smell a comeback. You're doing good. And everybody just started laughing kind of more than you are right now, because with the minutes that were left in the game, they would have to make a shot every every eight seconds to be able to catch up with. With three minutes, I, I don't, I, I'm not doing the math, but they were so far behind. Sorry, son, but there was no coming back in that game whatsoever. We knew that a comeback was hopeless. It wasn't possible, but it is never that way for the child of God. There is a comeback for every child of God that has drifted away from God and made choices for this world. But there are three things I want to share as we close that are very significant in the comeback that we make. And one thing is confidence in the Savior. Confidence in your Savior. I don't hear people talk about this from this psalm a lot. I don't find it in commentaries too much. But I'm so overwhelmed with David's boldness to go before the throne. You understand he's guilty of blood guiltiness. He said so. He said so to God. And he comes before him. And he says restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Does anybody think that David has some nerve to do that? I don't. He, David is broken. But he is boldly coming before his Savior. He has confidence in who his Savior is. Our Savior's love is not like the love of the world. It's an unconditional 
unconditional love of God. We have some kind of love here, but there's a love in heaven and it is always there for the child of God. And it is good to know that it is good to know your Savior because when you know the love of your Savior, you have confidence in His love and you know you can come to Him. And that is a must for the comeback. We must have confidence in our Savior. Satan will try to make you think that the Lord has left you. Satan will try to make you think that the Lord has cast you off and cast you down and that God's nostrils are flaring in his wrath at you. And it is too late for you when the Lord is actually ready to lift us up. When we are down, that's what your father wants to do. He wants to raise you up and he wants to restore you spiritually. This is an invite for every child of God to come back when they get down to be restored to a right relationship with him. Are you confident that his grace is greater than all our sin? Because you and I need that in those low times. You and I need that when we leave the fold and when we're off away from God, know that you can Come back to him. David knew that he hadn't earned God's love and that he hadn't lost his love. He knew he hadn't achieved God's love and it wasn't going to be taken away. You can never make God love you more and you can never make God love you less. He has loved you with an everlasting love when he saved you. And there is nothing you can do about that except have confidence in it. And it'll restore you. It'll be your way to a comeback. But not only confidence in the Savior, but confession of sin. Look back with me at verse 4. He says, against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. I wonder how many people... When a Christian has gone to them in love and great concern over their condition, I wonder how many people have said, you're not my judge, God is. And among that number, I wonder how many have asked God to judge them. We don't want the judgment of God. I wonder how many of them humbled themselves before the mercy of God, because that's what David does here. And that's what we must do. Come before the Lord and lay it all out. God's not looking for someone to use him as a cover up. And God's not looking for excuses. When Abraham was confronted about saying that Sarah was his sister, he said, well, in one way, She is my sister. And he went on with some excuses. And God doesn't want that either. It's it's coming clean with God that restores us to God. God is looking for honesty and humility from his children as we come before him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all Our unrighteousness. That comeback is going to be by confidence in the Savior and confession of sin and cleansed from every stain. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Cleansing from sin hushes the devil, even if it's only just for a minute. It hollows our guilt. It heaps up a mountain of forgiveness for us, for our sin. God clears the air and he restores his children. He restores them with joy and pushes us up to the table to sup with him again. And so close a communion. And there are those who will let some will let pride keep them from this unrestricted invitation. Some think, well, uh, I'm the best of my family. Uh, I must be doing good with God. It's, it's pride with some that some think they're they're good enough without him. For others, it's quite the opposite. It's shame. It's shame. And they just they just let that shame weigh them down and they don't come to the Lord. I'm sure David topped everyone here and he boldly comes to the Lord, humble before the Lord with confidence. But some won't come to him because of shame. And some hold on to that very burdensome, weighty, temporary pleasure of sin. It, it is so not worth it to do that. But but some do that and all that comes with it. But we see, we see tonight that when we're down, we can be raised up again. We, that's what we understand and know as children of God. That when we leave the fold, there's always an invitation to return. Man, I, I, I love a good sporting event on TV. And I can't stand it when someone just, just completely dominates the whole game. But I think a comeback is so sweet. And every child of God can make a comeback. No matter where they've been. No matter where they go. If Tim or Nolan were here tonight. They would probably lead us in, in a song that goes like this. I've wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming home. The paths of sin too long I've tried. Now I'm coming home. Coming home. Coming home, never more to roam. Open wide thine arms of love. Lord, I'm coming home. Let us know that no matter how far we go astray, we can always return and be restored to fellowship with the Lord. He always receives his children back. We can always return home. When I stray, Return I may. I hope you don't. We're, we're not going to have a time of invitation. There's always an invitation. There's always invitation. Where with, whether we sing a song. Whether we pause for a moment or not. This is your time in God's house. And your time to be restored. If that's the need in your life. If you're here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior in a personal relationship, this is, this is your time of invitation before you leave this building. It doesn't have to happen here, but it's a good place. Delay is so dangerous. There's the peace of knowing we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior. There's assurance, there's security, and there's knowing we can always return when we've gone astray. Zach Hamlin, close us in a word of prayer tonight, please, sir.
thank you for your word tonight, Father. I thank you for the for the confidence and encouragement that we can have, Father, that, that when we slip and fall, we don't have to stay